So today we come to our last study out of the book of James. Our last study out of the book of James, out of James 5. And we'll be looking at verses 19 and 20 this morning. James 5, 19 and 20. So turn with me there. And as you get there, uh, say you're out with a group of people. And as you're going along, you notice that you have lost someone. Uh, maybe you're on a trip. Uh, maybe, maybe you're just out, uh, out at the mall, right? Uh, and you notice someone is missing. Well, what you do in that moment, right, really depends on the who. Who are, who is missing? Uh, and if it's a, an adult, maybe you don't really panic and you just figure they went to check something out and they'll be back later. Uh, if it's a child, you probably begin to really panic, right? You really begin to get concerned and, and wonder and, um, you know, try and find somebody to help. Well, if you remember early on in the life of Jesus, uh, him and his parents went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, uh, and they they were there. Uh, they celebrated the the festival, the feast of Passover, and uh, now they begin the journey back. And Luke tells us this story out of Luke two, uh, forty three through forty eight. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. And but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. You can imagine in great distress. This is like, so you add up the days, you're probably talking about five days, almost a week where they didn't know where their son was. Um, and don't think poorly of them. Uh, and in this culture, right, it was often that it, the, a big group would go to Jerusalem for Passover and a big group would come back. And so it wouldn't be out of the bounds of reason to suggest or to think that, well, he's just with Aunt Aunt Susie. Or he's, he always likes hanging around with Uncle Bill. Uh, you know Uncle Bill. He likes to cause trouble, uh, that kind of thing. All right, so... So don't think poorly of uh, Joseph and Mary, but they were panicked, right? They panicked and they were in great distress looking for their son. Uh, but as we know, Jesus' response to his mother there is, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? But you can imagine that panic. But moving from parents, their children, moving from the theoretical situation of us losing someone in a group setting uh, what about those in the church? And I don't mean we're out on a church picnic and someone gets lost, right? They, they get lost in the woods. Uh, I mean, what about those who at one time professed faith in Christ and yet by what they believe now or by what they do now, uh, it evidences something wrong, that there's something wrong uh, that they don't really live as though Christ is their Lord and Savior. 
Well, today as we finish James, we see him instructing believers that brothers and sisters look out for one another. Brothers and sisters look out for one another. So let us turn to our passage and see James's final instruction. James 5, starting in verse 19, and this is the word of the Lord. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Right, remember, all along James has been instructing the church in various matters. Right, the, James has written this, this letter with purpose because he's concerned about the churches. We see him uh, write about how believers should have joy amidst the various trials of life. That believers should seek wisdom from God to be able to meet those trials, to be able to remain steadfast and receive the crown of life. He wrote that temptation arises from one, from within oneself. It isn't God who tempts us. Uh, God does not tempt with evil. Uh, temptation to our sinful nature never comes from God. That every good gift comes from God, right? Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. That believers do the word, not just listen to it, right? That's an important key, key verse that, that underscores all of what we've uh, gone through. That real religion demands action, right? Uh, real religion demands action, while false religion demands nothing. That believers should not show partiality, right? No, no favoritism within the church. That works proceed from a genuine faith, while faith without works is dead. That the mouth of a believer should not utter praise to God and curse uh, another person, a person who is made in the image of God. Right? Those things should not be. That instead of a selfish pride, which leads to disunity and division, believers are to evidence a humble faith which confesses sin and seeks God in everything. That prideful boasting about one's future is utter foolishness. For what is your life? Instead, our boast is in the Lord, right? And it is in him that we have life and we have the ability to do this or that. That the evil rich will not escape the judgment. That the believer who condemns and judges his brother won't escape discipline either. And so we should bear with one another with patience, that in all circumstances, believers should seek God in prayer, and in such prayer, forgiveness, healing, and peace of soul may well be found. James has written these things so the church may remain strong, that they know their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And James shows us in these matters that what we do matters. Our obedience to God does not earn us our salvation, and it can never repay God for our salvation. But nevertheless, what we do matters. And so we come to the final verses in the book of James, and as you have noted as we read along, right, this is not like the ending of a Pauline letter. Uh, in Paul's letters, right, what does he do? He starts uh, giving various farewell greetings to this or that person, and maybe he has one final encouragement but typically, there's some kind of uh, ending to this letter. So some commentators suggest that 
that's why this letter probably takes the form of a sermon uh, because it does it kind of just ends abruptly right he just finishes and he doesn't say oh uh, tell tell uh, Miss Polly that I said hello right he doesn't do that kind of thing uh, but he just ends with an exhortation and what does he exhort us to do well he exhorts us to take the things that he has written about seriously right to take them seriously and to take them seriously within the context of the church fellowship and so let's look at that today and first i want us to see the assumption of soul care the assumption of soul care and this is in verse 19 and it's appropriate that as we turn to this last topic uh, that that james wants to instruct us in right what does he say how does he open up what does he do he says my brothers something we have seen time and time again throughout uh, this letter, right? Brothers and sisters, he addresses the church. Uh, And this is one of the ways that we have noted. uh, We know he changes topics because he'll address his audience again. And in this case, again, he is addressing the church. So one final time here, we see brothers and sisters in Christ, he writes, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, now some things to note. Uh, first, anyone among you. So, uh, let's start there and think about anyone. Anyone. Who is anyone? Well, anyone, right? And why do I belabor this point? Because we can maybe get the idea, or it might be natural to us, that when it comes to uh, issues within the church, when it comes to those who were in the church that begin to wander, that we would pursue just those who are our friends. Right There are people within the church that we like. And if we see them start to stray, well, we would be concerned and we would seek after them. But James here doesn't say, if your friend begins to wander, seek after him. Right, But he says, anyone, anyone. So even the person you maybe don't like real well, this is a call to be concerned about their spiritual welfare. Right. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we are not the world. And so we do not act as the world acts. Now, we also have to realize, and as, as it is in all relationships, there are people that we prefer and there are people we don't prefer. But that preference doesn't give us license to ignore the command to love one another and the command to call one another to account. So let us remember that and and anyone among you that so again who is he talking about he's talking to the church so he's talking about the church so he's saying anyone who is among the church fellowship who begins to wander away Uh, why why is this important why do i belabor this point well because what james is writing about is not evangelism right so what james is not saying go and evangelize Though he does believe that, right? We would say that. He does believe that. We are to evangelize. The scripture is clear about that. But the the context for our command for us here this morning is we're talking about within the church fellowship. So we're not talking about missionary endeavor here. We're talking about ministry within the church. Uh, Again, I I want to belabor that point because I want us to understand who it is that we have the assumption of soul care. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a little bit, right? The assumption is 
that it is an assumed thing. Because notice in here, James doesn't say, if anyone among you wanders, you should bring them back. He just says, if anyone among you waters, wanders and someone brings him back. Right? So it's not a command, it's not a direct command, but there's an assumption here that we will do this. And what do I mean by soul care? Uh, that's an old-timey way to say uh, that we are concerned about the spiritual health of one another. So when we talk about soul care, we're talking about the care of one another's souls. And I would just stop and ask you there. Uh, it might be good to think about it now as we go through this. Do you care about the spiritual health of the person sitting next to you? Or in front of you? Or behind you? And you'll stop and say, well, isn't that the pastor's job? You're right, it is the pastor's job. It's his job especially. But notice that James is not writing to pastors here. James is writing to the church. It is everyone's job. And we see that throughout the scripture. Um, guess what? I need soul care. And I know you do too. So, uh, anyone among you, so anyone within the church fellowship, if there is someone in our church fellowship who begins to wander, we have to be concerned and do something about it. So let's think about that. What, what is wandering? Well, this is erring. Uh, that's another way of, of saying that there. Or this is straying. Uh, this is as the person who is walking down the straight path, the narrow path of following after Christ, but who has begun to turn to the left or to the right. They've wandered off the path. And we can talk about this in, um, in practice or in belief. right? So wandering away from Christ by what we are doing. So maybe we're engaging in sinful practices. Or maybe in what we believe. We begin to wander from the truth of the word. We begin to believe in false doctrine. And we can mean this in major ways or in minor ways. So what I mean by that is, when we talk about wandering from the, the belief from true doctrine, maybe we begin to believe heresy about the doctrine of Christ. That he wasn't really God always. But he took on God. That's a heresy. And so that's a pretty, that's a major heresy, right? That's the fundamental nature of Jesus. That goes to the very core of the, the gospel, how we are saved. Or maybe it's in minor things. Maybe it's in tertiary things, uh, right? Maybe we begin to come up with some weird end times, uh, end times dogma, uh, that, you know, uh, only Christ will not return unless dolphins start jumping through rings of fire. Uh, in the middle of town. I don't know why we would come up with that, but, you know, I could see someone coming up with something like that, right? <laughs> right? That, that becomes some weird, weird idea uh, that, that we just begin to, like, preach. I'm telling you, I see it in the scripture, man. Go back to the book of Job. You see mention of porpoises. Uh, go back to the uh, to the book of Exodus, there's maybe mention of porpoise skins, and that was put into the ark. And the ark, you, you know, like we start uh, pulling out one of these cork boards and we have strings everywhere, right? So it, it can be 
A minor thing, though. That's a minor thing. It's a tertiary thing. You're not getting the gospel wrong, but you are getting something wrong. And so that's a strain. In the Greek version of the Old Testament, this word was for wandering was often used to indicate a transgression of the law. So again, that helps us to understand. So some violation and belief or practice of the word of God. And, and again, that brings us to, right, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, from the truth, and what is it that the church, these within the church are wandering from? It's They're wandering from the truth. They're, they're wandering from the truth of the gospel. They're wandering from the truth of God and his word. Right? We're talking about a believer who has made some error. We are talking about a believer maybe who has begun to live in a sinful way. We are talking about a believer that believes that which is not the truth. For instance, we could go to the book of Galatians. And we see Paul deal with this kind of issue, right? In Galatians 1, 6 and 7, Galatians 1, 6 and 7, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Right? Paul writes to this church because they have wandered from the truth. They have begun to believe something that is not the gospel and to live in a way in accord with that belief that is not in accord with the gospel. And so he's concerned about them, right? Uh, he is strongly concerned about them uh, because he says, right, I'm dumbfounded. I'm stupefied that you are so quickly. I'm shocked. How could it be? And he goes on to use very strong language there, right? Where he says, not that there is another gospel. He goes on to say, and those who preach such a gospel, let them be accursed. And even if it's an angel from heaven or me myself, if we preach another gospel, let us be accursed. Right? That's how strong, that's what, that's what's at stake right here. They begin to wander and that wandering leads them down a deadly path. Uh, we may well think of, uh, those who make a profession of Christ and at some way, uh, some point along the way begin to practice things that are not biblical. That's who James is writing about, right? Uh, for instance, maybe the, what James did write about were those who were boasting of their faith and said, ah, look at, I have faith and I don't need works. They're wandering from the truth. They're wandering from the truth. And so what are we to do? Right? There's an assumption here. And the assumption is we bring them back. We turn them back. Or as Paul writes in Galatians 6, 1, the very thing he is doing in the book of Galatians, right? Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. If you're caught in transgression, if, you're, if, if you notice someone straying from the truth in belief or practice, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Bring them back. Why? We might ask, why though? Why does it matter? And of course, the first and most fundamental thing is we are called to love one another. And how does that matter? Because we have to realize that fundamentally, someone who wanders from the truth, listen, this is, this is essential for us to get. Someone who wanders from the truth 
may never have believed the truth. We have to realize the consequence of wandering. At the very least, right here, we have to keep in mind the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin for the believer? We know it is not final judgment. Christ has paid the penalty of final judgment in full for the believer. So when a believer sins, Christ has already paid the penalty of it. But that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences, right? That doesn't mean that there aren't earthly consequences. Maybe discipline. The believer who is living in sinfulness, who has strayed from the truth of the gospel in some serious way, will suffer the result of such errors. They may suffer under God's discipline. The psalmist writes, for instance, in Psalm 118, verse 18, 118, verse 18, the Lord has disciplined me severely. But he has not given me over to death. Notice that, right? For the believer, the believer might feel this. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he's not given me over to death. But do we want to be disciplined severely? No, it's much better that we avoid that, right? Sure, we may not be dead, but we may be struck. And we could think of, for instance, those ways in which God disciplined King David, for instance. Right? When he sinned with Bathsheba, he lost the child born of that adulterous affair. He lost a life. Or we can think about when he numbered the people. The angel of the Lord goes and begins striking down the people of Israel for the sin of King David. So sometimes discipline is severe. It's painful. But more than that. So so at the very least, we have this reality that sin is, sin has consequence. But more than that, such wandering, so a person who strays from the truth may evidence that they never really believed in the first place. And that is of a greater and more urgent issue. We know for those who do not believe the gospel that their end is hell. Literally. I'm not speaking metaphorically here. Literally, their end is hell. <clears throat> Matthew 18 tells us in Matthew 18, 15 to 17. Right, Matthew 18, 15 to 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Right, so, so let's stop right there and realize what Jesus says, right? If, if your brother sins and he goes and he repents of it, you've gained your brother. What do we gain by pursuing the one who wanders? We gain our brother or sister. We are, we restore something. We restore a fellowship that is so precious. Verse 16 continues. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you with that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuse to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. 
So Jesus says, go confront your brother. If that doesn't work, we take others. If that doesn't work, we take it to the church. And if that doesn't work, we should treat him as an outsider because he is. Right? So, so part of what excommunication is, right? They are removed from communion. This is not an act of, well, we don't like you anymore. Stick our nose up, you know, put our nose up at you and, and bleh, stick our tongue out and you go down the road. Now, what we're saying is this person profess to be in the light. The evidence of their life is that they're not. They think they have life in Christ, but the evidence of their life is that they are living in the death of their sins and trespasses and what they need, right? Treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. That doesn't mean we reject them and never talk to them again. It means that the tone of our conversation, the content of our conversation is different. It's not be restored to the church because they can't be restored to that which they were never part of. It's repent and believe in Christ. It's turn from your wicked ways or lest you suffer the eternal judgment of God. Right? So it's not as though we never talk to them again, but it's the message that we preach to them is different. The wanderer may be a believer. Right? The wanderer that we're, that we're talking about here in this context may be a believer. They're among us. Who, a believer who has been allured by sin and Satan to walk from the truth. And to these we are called to turn back. Or the wandering may prove, as we see, for instance, in 1 John, they went out from us to prove they were never of us. Right? The wanderer may be one uh, who proves that they never really were of the faith, and so a fresh work in calling such a one to Christ must be started. So why do we seek the wanderer? Because we understand that the consequence of their wandering is important and matters. It's not inconsequential. Why do we seek the wanderer? Because Jesus sought the wandering. We're to bring back the wandering one because that is what Jesus does. This is the ministry, the work of Jesus. First Peter tells us in chapter 2, verses 24 to 25. 1 Peter 2, 24 to 25. He himself, Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You are straying. Or remember the parable of the prodigal son? Right? There's this son who goes to his father and tells his father, Father, give me my inheritance now. I don't want to wait until you're dead. I want it now. Give me what's mine. And the father gives it to him. The son goes off. And he begins to live a wanton life. Anything that catches his eye, he spends his inheritance on. And that is anything that catches his eye. Whether it's food and booze, uh, whether it's 
uh, trinkets uh, and little uh, bits of bobble, or whether it's the fine caresses of a lady of ill repute. Whatever catches his eye, that's what he spends his money on. And eventually he spends all his money and there's nothing left and he's wasted away and he falls to a point. And we maybe miss the the reality of this because we're not Jewish. But he falls to the point of being the guy that slops the pigs. Pigs, which are the unclean animal for the Jew. He slops the pigs and as he's as he's feeding the pigs, he is so destitute and so hungry, he thinks, man, that looks good. Maybe I could just scoop a piece up and, and get that for myself. That's how far he falls. And then he has a moment of clarity. He says, my father's a, a wealthy man. He has servants. I'll go and be a servant of my father. I'll go to him on my hands and knees and I'll go to him and, and, and apologize and plead for him, not for place of priority, not for place of prominence, not for being a son, but at least hire me as a servant. We see that Luke 15, 18 to 24. Luke 15, 18 to 24. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And of course, we know how this uh, this parable goes, but let's, for instance, put yourself in the place of this son. And when you approach your father's land, the farm, What's going through your mind? Probably anxious thoughts. What if he whips me and throws me out? What if I plead with him all, all this and say all this and still he says, my son is dead. Get out of here. I never want to see you again. But while he was still a long way off, and, and listen, this is God here, right? In the parable, God is this Father. This is Jesus. Jesus pursues the wanderer. His Father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the Son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your Son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Right? Rather than the father treating the wandering son as dead, the father embraces him and restores him. And this is what Jesus does. He embraces and restores the lost. He seeks the wanderer. So brothers and sisters in Christ, when someone within our church fellowship goes wandering, what will be our response? What will you do? Christ Jesus pursues you, and he continues to love. He calls you to himself.
And so too we are to pursue one another in love. We are to turn them back. We are to bring them back. We are to restore them in a spirit of gentleness because we are called to care for one another's souls. It's not just the work of the pastor. It's the work of every one of us. The assumption is the church will show soul care. And let us turn and see in verse 20 the reward for soul care. The reward for soul care. Verse 20. And so James continues, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And now here we have an interpretive problem because the, the English is as ambiguous as the Greek actually is, right? So this is an ambiguous uh, meaning here because who is it whose soul is saved from death? And who is it will have a multitude of sins covered? The Greek is ambiguous. We don't really know, but we have our ideas, right? Uh, scholars certainly do. It seems most natural to read, right, that the one who will have his soul saved from death is the one who is the wanderer, the one who is the sinner. Uh, the death in view here, because the death in view here is not physical death, it's spiritual death. It's the second death, which again exhorts us to the practice of soul care, to watch out for one another. Because someone who is erring or proving unbelief, the end of that person is the second death. The end of this person is the final judgment before God, where he is cast forever from the good presence of God. So never forget, brothers and sisters, that what is at stake in unbelief is not really just the matter of a few particulars of doctrine. What is at stake in unbelief, in willful sin, that is not repented of, is of the most serious nature. Remember that. I fear that we sometimes forget that maybe we're sometimes anesthetized to this truth. That all those who fail to recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior will suffer the punishment of their sins for all eternity. Because they have committed treason against the holy God, they receive a traitor's punishment. They have transgressed against the Holy One. Romans 2, 6-11 tells us. Romans 2, 6-11. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. God doesn't show partiality. He doesn't show favoritism. It doesn't matter who you are. If you seek him not, you will suffer the just punishment of your sins. But if you turn to him, if you seek his grace, if you seek the mercy of Christ Jesus, you will be saved. All who trust in the Lord, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So what's at stake in wandering? What is at stake in wandering from the truth? Eternal life. 
So let's remember this for our own sake so that we would not wander. That when we get tempted by, de- by every wind of doctrine out there, and believe me, there's a gale of doctrine out there that is false. Let us be sure that we are holding to the truth. Let us not wander from the truth for our own sake. But also let us remember these things for the sake of one another, for the sake of those in our fellowship. Would you want to look at Christ Jesus and give reason why you failed to speak up, to try and turn back a fellow believer who is wandering from the truth? And he asked you, why didn't, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you do anything? What's your response going to be? And again, I feel the weight of that more as pastor. I have to give an account for you. So, so remember these things. Realize these things. So what's at stake from wandering from the truth? It's eternal life, and we have to realize that. So, so for the one who is brought back to the truth, he will save his soul from death. The sinner will be saved. That is a blessed thing. But what about this reference to covering a multitude of sins? Here, again, we have an interpretive decision to make. Some argue that it is the person who does the turning back receives extra mercy and grace, right? That, that there is this uh, blessing for them. Some argue that this is still talking about the sinner, that the sinner's sins will be covered. Uh, and some point to, for instance, that word cover uh, being used, especially in the New Testament, in reference to salvation, uh, often in used in reference to salvation. And I would agree with the latter interpretation here. So I think this is talking about the one who is, um, the one who, the sinner who is turned back will have his sins forgiven. And where do we, uh, why, why does that make sense to me? I think you have a parallelism that we're talking about two things that happen to the same person uh, rather than kind of this split. Uh, but more, more than that, I think if you go back up to in chapter 5, uh, for instance, in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So I think there's evidence that that we see here that the one who confesses their sin, prays to God, will be forgiven of their sin. And so uh, I, would, I would say that this is an encouragement to the wanderer. The wanderer, and listen, if this may be you, the wanderer has the encouragement that Christ will accept them back. There is the possibility of restoration and reconciliation always with God. This side of heaven, while we yet draw breath. There is nothing that you can do for which God will reject you forever, save you rejecting him. And again, this doesn't mean that there's not earthly consequence for sin. Sometimes God still lets us feel the earthly consequence of our sins. But that does not mean that he will not save you from your sin. 
And so what we are called to in the closing of James's letter is that very thing, excuse me, that very thing that James has been doing throughout his letter. What has James been doing? Calling the wanderer, calling those who have strayed, calling and reminding of the truth, correcting those who have strayed from the truth. So brothers and sisters in Christ, take seriously what James implies here is your duty. Call the wanderer back. Seek those who have strayed from the truth. Admonish and encourage those who have begun down the path of death. For this is no less than our duty and love towards one another. Remember John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. How has Christ loved you, beloved? And so we are called to love one another in the same manner. Let us love like Christ has. Let us pursue the good of one another. Let us not give up, but endure and seek to encourage the one who is wandering. And how do we do this? Well, it depends on the situation, right? It depends on the circumstance, but it depends on the person. But the most important thing is we speak up. We say something. We have conversations. It means we open up our Bibles and we point to the truth. It may mean going through the process of church discipline, right? We, we have to say something. We can't just let it pass. And listen, I understand that's uncomfortable. I am confrontation averse, right? I, I don't like confrontation. Uh, I like debating over inconsequential things, but I don't like confrontation, right? Real confrontation. It's difficult to have that conversation with someone. It's difficult to say, man, brother, you've been talking about this, this particular doctrine and... And where do you get that from in the Bible? Where, where do you see that? Because I don't see it. And, and I've heard a lot of teaching. I've read a lot of things. I, I Nobody else has really seen it in the last 2,000 years of the church. So, so where is this coming from? Help me understand. Because maybe I've misunderstood you. Help me to understand. We go to our Bibles and we open up and we look, right? That, that's, the, that's the most important thing. Is This is not my opinion. This is not I think you're doing wrong. Now, I want to know out of the Scripture, where does it come from? What's the basis? Where's the principle out of the Bible? So that's what you do. When someone begins to wander, you say something. You speak of something. And let... Love infuse all of your efforts, right? As, as Paul says to the Galatian church, restore them in a spirit of gentleness, right? So we're not getting our Bibles and we're not using them as a bludgeon, as a club. We're not saying, well, uh, since you did that, now get out from my sight forever. Be gone. Right? No, we, we do it in a spirit of gentleness. We... Do it with a spirit of love. We love them as we would want someone to love us. So we have the difficult conversations. We go to the scripture and we we bring the truth of the scripture up. And in all this, it it doesn't mean that we compromise the truth of the scripture either, right? So so what I'm not talking about is is we just say, oh well, it's not that big. Bible says one thing, they're doing another. No, it matters. 
So we say something, we speak, we argue, uh, we, we debate, uh, we look to the Scripture. For some of you uh, who hear this, you may be in a period of wandering. You may have strayed from the truth. You may have begun to let your practice or your belief uh, begin to take you places it should not. And understand that what we believe matters because what we believe affects what we do. It eventually will. And so you may have begun to believe things that don't align with the truth of the Scripture. Maybe you've begun to practice sinful things that are out of step with the truth of the Scripture. And I want you to hear the beautiful promises of Christ to you that you may yet have eternal life, that your sins can be forgiven, covered by the blood of Jesus, because as you yet draw breath, there is still time for you to turn back to God and be healed and come back. Today is the day that you can come back to forsake your sin and to look once more at your Savior, Jesus, because it doesn't matter how long you've been wandering and it doesn't matter how far down that path you have gone. You may have, like the prodigal son, hit the rock bottom of practice and belief. But you can this day, by the power of the Spirit, be assured of your forgiveness in Christ. And so as the hymn goes, come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. But for some of you, you are not wandering because you were never in the truth. You've not wandered from the truth because you were never following after the truth. Some of you are as the day uh, as the day when you were born, dead in your trespasses and sins. Some of you do not need to renew your faith, but come to the faith for the first time. Understand that what is at stake in your failing to come to Christ Jesus now is that when you appear before him at the end of your life, you will find in him no more mercy, but rather the severe and just punishment of your sins. Because all of the wrong that you do in thought, in word, in deed, condemn you before a holy God. Whatever you want to recognize, uh, whether you recognize God or not is immaterial. Whether you believe that God is God or not doesn't matter. God is God. Whether you believe the Bible is true or not doesn't matter. Because the Bible is true. And that is the standard by which you will be judged. God is God alone, and it is to Him that all creatures must give obedience. And all who fail will suffer under His righteous wrath. And who is it that fails? Every single one of us. But there is yet hope. Because as you draw breath, you can still use it to praise God. You can still turn to God, turn from your sins. Repent, in other words. You can still call upon the name of the Lord. In other words, believe who he says he is. Believe that what he has said he has done, he has done. So today, turn to Christ Jesus. Turn to the only begotten of God. Call out to him at this moment and you can be saved. Because Jesus lived the life you never could. He died the death you should. And he rose from the grave, ascending to the Father, vindicating everything that he said and did. And he did all this for sinners such as yourself.
He did this to pay for the penalty of his people since he did this in love. And so trust in that love. Trust in he who is love and be saved. And then walk the path of being a Christian, which part of that means seek, seek those who wander from the truth. Because it is loving to do so. Let us pray. Oh, Father God in heaven, uh, we pray unto you this day. Lord, we pray that if we have been wandering from the truth, Father, if there has been error in practice or belief in our life, Lord God, we want to confess that to you here in this moment. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for our wandering ways. And God, we pray uh, as the hymnist writes that you would bind our wandering heart to thee that you would that you would captivate us with your love captivate us with the goodness and the truth of your word oh father that we would never stray from it father we pray that you would encourage us in this father we pray that for those that we know that have begun to wander or have long wandered. Lord, we pray that you would give us opportunity and give us boldness to, to speak. Father, to point them to the truth of Christ, the truth of the gospel, that we would not lie comfortably knowing that one of our brothers and sisters in Christ is out living in falsehood. And Lord God, we pray for those who do not know you. Lord, we pray that you would have mercy upon them, that you would send your spirit upon them to regenerate them. Lord God, they, that they would hear the truth of your word and they would believe it and confess it to the praise of your glory and for their good. So Lord God, to this task before us of walking in your way, and of encouraging one another and admonishing one another to walk in your way. Lord, give grace, we pray. And so we pray this in the name of he who is our Savior, our Lord, the good shepherd who seeks those who wander. Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.